Good evening, everyone. I'm Adrian Mayfield. I am here live. And I'm not quite sure what I was thinking when I told you guys I was going to go live at 7 o'clock and 12 a.m. other than um, just being obedient. But it's a lot to go live every day. For those of you who are content creators, you get it. For those of you who just observe and peek at people and make fun of their content in the comments, you have no idea. Like, it takes a lot. It takes a whole lot to do this every day, you know, on time. All right. Anyway, I'm Adrian Mayfield, and I'm having a live event on February 15th at 7 o'clock p.m. called The Encounter, The God Who Answers by Fire. I'm not going to be doing it live, doing it like live, social media live. So you have to get in the room if you want to be a part of it. So if you're interested, go to adrianmayfield.com, which is my website. Scroll down to the bottom, and you'll see the information where you get signed for my email list. And that's why I'll keep you to breast because February 15th is not that far from today. So, again, it's called The Encounter. It'll be February 15th here in Atlanta live. And so if you're interested, go to adriebrayfield.com. Click go all the way to the bottom and sign up for my email list. So today we're talking about five lessons I learned from Satan. I know you probably, if you saw the title, like, what in the world? Five lessons you learned from Satan? What could we possibly learn from Satan, right? He's the adversary. But the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 2.11... It says, lest Satan should take advantage of us because we are ignorant of his devices. So what is that telling us? That it's possible not to be aware of what he is able to do and what he's trying to do. And we know that in warfare, which is why I have on my army fatigue today, note the theme. In warfare, if you don't know what your enemy's strategy is and you have no idea what your strategy is going to do, you could be blindsided, right? You could fall into a landmine. All kind of horrible things can happen if you are not cognizant of your enemy and how your enemy operates and so in john 10 10 jesus gave us the indication also about satan and what he's up to for those of you who are currently serving him and making sacrifices to him and living for him and burning sage for him and doing yoga poses for him and all those things and pledging your sororities and fraternities for him then you might be like what in the world but if you are not, if you are willing, have willingly made an agreement or alliance with him, you may not have, might not be aware of what Jesus said. And in John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And he was talking about Satan. He says he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. So if you see him on the scene, he's only there to steal, kill, and destroy. If you make a deal with him, he may say, I'll give you this or that. Like we're going to talk about what he did said to Jesus in Luke 4. He may offer you something, but rest assured, there's not going to be a, a good end to it because Jesus already told us he only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So unless you want to be stolen from, taken out of here, or be destroyed, you shouldn't want anything to do with him. And that's why he's called our, our adversary, right, which is our opponent. He's not God's opponent because God has no adversary. He has no opponent. He's God. He's our adversary. And so... We have to know who this dude is and what he's up to because he's ancient. He's much older than we are. He's been here much longer than we have. He's created just as we are, but he's been here much longer than us and he studies us and he knows us well. He understands the spirit realm. He understands the modus operandi of the government of heaven, which is like a judicial system, the governmental system of God. 
And so he uses that against us. And that's why in 2 Corinthians, the scripture that we just talked about tells us not to be ignorant of his devices. Guys, this is some good information. This is a good time to share with some of your friends who might actually be in alliances with him because they need to know who they're serving, right? Just like you need to know who you're serving. If you're serving Jesus and you say you're a Christian, you need to actually read your Bible, read the contract, get to know the person behind it, get to know Jesus and God and why he came and what your responsibilities are, what your rights are, what you're supposed to be doing, what you're not supposed to be doing, how you spread the gospel, what the gospel even means. All of these things are things that you need to know. You need to know what you're signing up for. And so if you're serving Satan, you need to know what you're signing up for. He comes only to steal kill and destroy. So I made this five things I learned from Satan. So let's jump into it. The first one comes from Genesis 3, 1 through 4. That's Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 4. It says the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, which is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God has said, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And Satan said, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So guys, all he did was took one word out. God had already given the command to Adam, right? They understood the deal. You can have everything. You can enjoy everything here except this one tree. And so the same thing happens with us. God says, you can enjoy your life. You can have a good time. But this, but there are things that are reserved for marriage. There are things that are reserved for um, all those who belong to me. There's lots of different there are rules and regulations and modus operandi around the way the kingdom of God operates. And God says, you know, all these wonderful things you can enjoy, but you can't touch this. You can't touch that. Don't do this. This is going to harm you. But the devil comes along and he says, he didn't really mean that. He's withholding something from you. He doesn't want you to have something good. And look at us, just like Adam and Eve, we fall because we disobey God and we think he's somehow withholding something from us when we should know that the Bible says that he's a good father and every good and perfect gift comes from him. So everything good comes and originates from God. So when the devil tries to trick us and tell us that God's withholding something, He's lying to us just like he lied to them. So God said, don't touch this tree. He told Eve, he, you're not going to die if you eat this tree. So she ate the tree, gave some to Adam. He not ate the tree, ate something from the tree, gave some to Adam. And here we are. Can't blame Adam and Eve, though, because we've all done our own sins that have contributed to this cycle of, man, of iniquity that mankind is in. So the first thing that we learn from Satan is that he's a crafty liar. In Genesis 3, 1 through 4, he's a crafty liar. So those people who say, oh, I don't have to worry about him. Jesus died. I'm good. Yes, Jesus did die. He purchased our salvation. He purchased our redemption and all of those things. But we still are called to occupy until he comes and we're to take, we're to take and have dominion in the earth. The only way to do that means that you have to wage this warfare with your enemy who's trying to keep you from doing that. And so you have to know, number one, that he is very crafty. He was able to convince one third of the angels who were also created just like him to try to be equal to God or overthrow God. And the Bible tells us like lightning, they were cast out of heaven immediately. But he was still able to convince them to join along with him and do that. So that tells me 
that without the Holy Spirit, without reading your Bible, without partnering with the Word and the Spirit, you thinking you're going up against this dude, uh, you're probably not going to be successful because he's very crafty. He's very slick, right? He even came in the form of a serpent. All right. So the next, the first one is he's a very crafty liar. Number two is Job chapter one, verse nine. He is the accuser. The Bible calls him the accuser. And when you, if you're familiar with the story of Job, I'm not going to go through all of it, but Job was an upright, righteous man. One day Satan came, he came to God and he said, Hey, you know, I've been, God said, what have you been doing? He said, you know, I've been going to and fro on the earth. And so he said, have you considered my servant Job? God actually recommended Job. But then Satan accused Job in one nine. He said, does Job fear God for nothing? And so basically he was accusing him and saying like, the only reason he's serving you is because you're taking care of him and he doesn't have to need anything. And you, you, if you like pull away from him or you don't bless him, he won't, he'll turn on you like everybody else. And so he is the accuser of the brother and he accuses us. So when you hear these little voices telling you to do wrong things, things that are against God and you go along with it, then just know that as soon as you do it, he's going to go to the throne of God and say, she did this. He did that. You saw it. This is what it is because God is a righteous judge, right? So irrespective of the fact that he loves us, he's still a righteous judge. And so because of that, when you sin against him, that's why Jesus had to die, actually, to make just one obvious point. Jesus had to die because God takes sin very seriously. Sometimes we make it a laughing matter and like, oh, it's not a big deal. This that. No, it's a very big deal. It's such a big deal that Jesus had to come and die, that God sent his own son to die on the cross because that sin debt that we owe had to be paid for. So you have to know that Satan is the accuser. He'll convince you, he'll co-sign with you, he'll encourage you to do all this foul stuff. And as soon as you do it, he runs immediately to the throne and he accuses you before God. And that's why sometimes you'll do something you know you shouldn't do and then immediately you're like, oh my God. And you start feeling the guilt and shame. He brings the guilt and shame and says, oh, look what you did. You're supposed to be saved. You're supposed to be holy. You're supposed to be loved God. You're supposed to be married. You're supposed to be this. You're supposed to be that. Whatever the case may be. You're supposed to be an honest person. You're supposed to be integral. Look at you. You stole this. You did this. All these things that he tempts us to do, immediately he goes and accuses us. So you should know that he is a crafty liar. He's the accuser. And he tempts us. All right. Isaiah 14, 14 is the next one. He wants to be like God and he tempts us to desire the same. That's Isaiah 14, 14. This is talking about the fall of Lucifer that I was referring to earlier, how he fell like lightning. And it says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. And this is him. This is Lucifer talking, right? He's saying, I will ascend. I will be like the most high. This is the sin of pride, right? And that's what he uses to try to get us to do. Adam and Eve, he said, you can be like God. You can be just like God. Well, in essence, they were already created in the image of God. And they had the privileges and rights to everything in the garden. But he uses the same thing with us today. Well, you can be your own God. You can make your own rules. Who's he to make the rules? Who are they to tell you you can't do that? Who are they to say that's a sin? Look at them. They're judging you. They can't tell you that. You can do what you want to do. They're not the boss of you. It's the same thing, the sin of pride. And so that's why Isaiah tells us, Isaiah 14, 14, that he said he would ascend above the clouds and be like the most high. So it's always been his ambition to be like God, but we know that's impossible. And when he tried it, he was kicked out of heaven. But that's not the end of the story. We see at the end of the revelation that he's going he's gonna to be tormented forever. 
and you don't want to be tormented with him, right? <laughs> because Jesus has already purchased abundant life for you. So you may as well enjoy abundant life here and abundant life with them in the, in the hereafter rather than being in hell with Satan burning forever. It's not a good look. You do not want to do it. All right. Next one is, so we got, he's a crafty liar. He's the accuser. He wants to be like God and tempts us to do the same. The next thing is Daniel 10, 13. He tries to discourage us by blocking answers to our prayer. A lot of you know the, know the story of Daniel because in January, people do the Daniel fast, which really wasn't a fast. It was really more of a consecrated diet of not eating the um, the selectable vittles and wine and drinks and stuff like that. But people say they're doing the Daniel fast because they feel like they're fasting because they're just eating fruits and vegetables and stuff like that. So we people call it the Daniel fast. And so some people then will become familiar with the story of Daniel is the point that I was making. And so with that, not to say that you shouldn't fast or that, you know, that I'm not saying that you shouldn't fast, you should fast. But I do think that sometimes as a church, we get into this whole, we're doing the Daniel fast, we're doing the Daniel fast. And that's the only fasting you do for the whole year. And some people don't even do a food fast. They try to do a social media fast, or they say they're going to fast from um, doing the grown up when they're not married and they're not supposed to be doing that anyway. And so it's just, I don't want to get off track with the fasting. So let me stay focused. But in Daniel 10, 13, he had gone through this period. He was praying. And so Gabriel came to him and he told him that he had, that he, that my, that they were, had come and they were trying to get to him. So basically he was letting him know that when, when he started praying and petitioning God, that God immediately sent the answer to his prayer. But the reason why there was this period of time that seemed like delay was because when the angels came to with the answer to the prayer, one of the agents of Satan, who was the prince of Persia, he came and fought. And he fought, right? And so then Michael had to come and assist him so that they could bring the answer to Daniel. And so what do we learn from this story is that Satan uses delay. He uses opposition. He tries to block us. He tries to discourage us. He uses the major tool of discouragement and delay to try to prevent us from getting answers to our prayers. And so what do we learn from that is that you don't stop praying. The Bible says men are always to pray and never to faint. So no matter what happens, you hold on to the truth of God's word, find a scripture that aligns with your prayer. Cause hopefully you're not just asking something like crazy or weird. Hopefully you're asking something that aligns with a scripture. So you find a scripture that aligns with your prayer and you pray that scripture, you pray that prayer, you believe God. He's not a man that he should lie. You trust him. And you know that even if it doesn't look like it, even if you don't see it, God is a covenant keeper and he keeps his word and he keeps his promises. And so stand fast to the word. Don't allow discouragement. Don't allow delay to keep, to knock you off of your prayer. Continue to persevere. Continue to pray, pray just like the lady did, right? It said that she came to the unrighteous judge, but because she kept bugging him and bugging him and bugging him, he was like, okay, just give her what she wants. And so we're supposed to also persist in prayer. So we learned that he's a crafty liar. He's the accuser. He wants to be like God and tempts us to try to do the same, be our own God. And he tries to discourage us by blocking answers to our prayers. Okay, the last one is he's very strategic with his attacks. He's very strategic with his attacks. We look at, we're going to look at Luke 4. You should read Luke 4, 1 through 13 if you haven't. But we're just kind of, we're going to just kind of speed through it because we only have like a minute or two to go. But um, this is the temptation of Jesus. 
Satan comes to Jesus after he's been fasting for 40 days and he starts to make these three temptations. And these three temptations are made based on the same temptations that we have as human beings. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And so the first thing he says to God is, if you are the son of man. Why did he say that? Because right before this, he had been baptized by John and a dove came down and affirmed his identity, right? As the son of God. God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So it's just like the devil. Something good happens. He tries to come and say, it didn't mean it. You receive the gift of uh, speaking in tongues. He says, you're not speaking in tongues. You get delivered from some sin that you've been involved in. He says, you're not really delivered. You accept Jesus Christ as your savior. And he says, you're not really saved. It's just like him to do that. So God had affirmed Jesus as his son, said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. What does the enemy do? He comes immediately after this 40-day fast. And the first thing he says is, if you are the son of God, command these, command this stone to become bread. Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, right? Remember the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. So this is the lust of the flesh, right? Okay, so then the second one is he took him up on a high mountain like he's done many of your performers and entertainers and even pastors and made him this offer. If you bow down and worship me, then I will give you this or I'll give you that. I'll give you sold out concerts or I'll get I'll fill your I'll give you stadiums full of people or I'll give you the people. These the your your look will be ageless. I'll make you ageless. All these different things he promises. Right. And so he brings, up, brings Jesus up on this high mountain. He says, look, all these kingdoms belong to me. If you bow down to me, right? If you bow down and worship me, then I'll give everything. And so then Jesus says to him, I, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. I'm not serving you. I only serve God. So forget it, dude, right? Remember, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. Pride of life. And so the last temptation is he takes him out and he, he takes him out like on this mountain, takes him up on this mountain, says, throw yourself down. Because after all, he's kind of trying to get slick. This is the crafty thing we talked about at first, because then he uses a scripture. He takes some, he uses a scripture from Psalm 91 and he says, throw yourself down from here. Like prove yourself. God, of course, you're his son. He's going to rescue you. He shall give his son. This is from Psalm 91. He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways in their hands. They'll bear you up. lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus responded to him. You should not tempt the Lord, your God. Right. And so Jesus withstood the enemy. He overcame the lust of the, he overcame these temptations of the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. Right. The pride of life was the second one. Right. Because he took him up on the mountain and said, look, I'll give you all this. If you bow down and worship me. Right. And we talked about the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the pride of life. Right. Well, the pride of life would actually be the the lust of the eye would be the second temptation, looking out and seeing the thing. And the pride of life would be, you know, throw yourself down and prove that you're God. So the last verse, though, says you would think, OK, Jesus beat him. He defeated. It. This is it. It's over. But in 13, it says, now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So what does this tell us? With Even with Jesus, Jesus withstood him by saying, it is written, it is written, it is written, which is the same way you defeat the enemy. But the Satan didn't give up. This dude is relentless. A friend of mine used to say, there's one thing 
that Negro doesn't do is miss work. He gets up and to work every day. Before you even wake up, he's already putting thoughts in your mind. He does not miss work. So he says that he left Jesus for a more opportune time. And we know that that more opportune time continued throughout. He entered Judas. Judas betrayed him. And Jesus was crucified. But thanks be to God, he rose, right? And he's seated right now at the right hand of the Father, petitioning on your behalf and on my behalf. And so that's the beautiful thing about this story is that although we can learn these things about him and it's important to know these things about Satan, you have to know your adversary. You have to know your enemy in order to be able to defeat him. It's also, it's even more important that you know God, that you have a relationship with him because he is your father. Jesus is your savior. The Holy Spirit is your helper. And the three of them want to work together to help you be all that God designed and ordained for you to be before the foundation of the world. So that's our little bit longer Bible study today than we actually have been going. But I think that we learned something really important today about our adversary, our enemy. Don't take it for granted. A lot of people do and they're like, oh, yeah, Satan, whatever. I don't have to worry about him. We don't have to worry about him per se because Jesus has defeated him. But he is your adversary. And Jesus would not have given us warnings about him if we weren't supposed to take him seriously and know that we have to wage a good warfare, that we have to read the Bible, that we have to put on the armor of the, put on our armor, which that was a scripture that I was supposed to read. Let me get my notes back out because I did want to say that's Ephesians 6, 11, put on the whole armor of God so you can be able to stand against the devil. And the whole armor is the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the shield of faith the breastplate of righteousness. Of course, you got to have on your belt of truth with all the deception that's out here now and your feet shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So we learned about our adversary. We learned how to defeat him. We're going to read our Bibles. We're going to partner with the Holy Spirit and we're going to meet at the encounter, right? So again, we're meeting every night here at seven and at 12. At 12 o'clock, we pray for 15 minutes. At seven, we do a little mini lesson. Share this with a friend. Invite them out to the encounter. It is a live-only event. Only event, not going to be broadcast. I'm going to apologize again in advance to all my friends abroad because it's not going to be telecast or broadcast or live. But if you're in the room, you'll be able to take advantage and experience the God who answers by fire. I should be able to release the information about the venue tomorrow once I get everything confirmed with that. But it is definitely September. September. No, it's not. It's February 15th. February 15th at 7 o'clock p.m. here in Atlanta, Georgia. So again, if you're interested, which you, you should be interested because it's going to be a powerful move of God, go to adrianmaxwell.com, scroll down to the bottom, put in your details so that you can be a part of the email list and you'll get all the information. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the victory that you've given us through Jesus Christ. We thank you that we are not ignorant of the enemy's devices. And that because you have equipped us with the power of your word and with the partnership of the Holy Spirit, we can wage a good warfare and be victorious against the enemy. We thank you for everyone who is watching, those who will watch on the replay. We thank you for the encounter and the mighty work that you will do through the lives of the people who attend. Father, we pray that you will just continue to speak to us, dwell in us, live through us, and allow us to be your representatives in the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, thank you so much for watching. Again, share this with a friend, family member. Go ahead and mark the encounter on your calendars and invite some people. And I'll see you tonight at midnight. God bless you.